This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Okay, okay, okay. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to have you with us. Another beautiful Monday morning here in Southern California. As I always say, uh, because it is. I mean, it's bright, it's sunny, it's over 70 degrees. What's not to love? But anyway, uh, first things first. I don't know what is wrong with me. I think that maybe it's because my wife is out of town. So Tammy has been in New York City with our middle daughter. Uh, she went there to uh, just to spend some time with her, but also to watch her perform. Um, she's in a musical theater program there. And, you know, back in high school and community theater and all that, we used to see every single show. So it's been really hard having her clear across the country and then doing performances and not being able to see them. So, so yeah, Tammy decided, forget this. I'm going. I'm going to watch one of her shows and spend some time with her. But I think what that's done to me, um, you know, the whole saying, when the cat's away, the mouse will play, the mice will play, whatever. Um, I don't know that I'm playing as much as I just don't even know what day it is. (laughs) So (laughs) I think I've just lost my mind a little bit. Um, Tyler's still here, but you know, he has work, he has school, he has, um, his girlfriend. So (laughs) he's hardly ever around. Um, so yeah, I think I've, I was just in this fog. And so I sat down today to record the podcast and something seemed off. I'm like, wait, what, what's going on? I, I pull up GarageBand and it has a certain file that it knows it needs to go to. Um, and it's different than the episode I've been writing now for the past three or four days. And I realize <laughs> it's because I now have two episodes written and I haven't recorded the first one of the two, which is great, right? It's like finding $20 in your pocket. You're like, oh my goodness, here I thought I was just barely squeaking one out before Monday. And no, I've got two in the can now. So, so happy, so good. But part of the problem, I guess I found myself in with Tammy being gone. Anyways, So like I said, April 25th, 2022, welcome back to the podcast, Minute of Transparency this week, Concussion Protocol. So have you ever had a concussion or have you ever watched somebody who has go through it? Um, If so, you understand that it isn't the most fun thing in the world. In fact, you could call it a struggle. Concussions are a huge thing these days, partially because we understand them better, we know what to look for, but also because hundreds of thousands of Hundreds of thousands of kids play contact sports, right? So there are bound to be a lot more of them than we had in the past. And as we've learned more and more about concussions, we've learned some pretty important facts. Things like a concussion doesn't go away in 15 minutes, right? When the athlete says they feel better. A concussion requires an immediate period of physical and mental inactivity, A serious concussion can even require the person to sit in a dark room with no visual stimulation, no reading, no phone, no television, etc. The concussion may take a week or more to fully subside. And finally, concussions can grow in magnitude. 
meaning two things. A third, fourth, or fifth concussion may be worse than the first or second. And concussions on top of concussions are serious business. In other words, getting another concussion while the previous one is still not resolved can be very dangerous. Now, I'm not a doctor, so this isn't an airtight list. It's not 100% complete. But over the years, these are the things we've learned as parents of athletes. And just knowing the basics can make it obvious it's not fun. And we don't wish any of your kids to go through that experience. But here's something to think about. With how many concussions occur these days, it makes you wonder how many we had growing up, right? I mean, I played every sport I could. I remember falling. I remember running into other players. I remember getting hit in the head with basketballs. It's crazy to think that I may have had as many concussions as my kids, just never diagnosed. And then there are the ones that our kids experienced that weren't diagnosed, right? I can still remember our oldest daughter. Uh, I can't remember if it was a soccer game or a soccer practice, but it was in high school and she got hit and it wasn't diagnosed as a concussion, but for two weeks, she just wasn't right. And she would tell us that she had headaches every now and then. And, um, we, we kind of figured that that might be what it is, um, and luckily, there was a short break in the soccer season at that time anyways, so it wasn't like she was going back to practice every day and and having to deal with it. She was at home anyways. Um, but if they were still in session playing soccer, there's a good chance she could have just returned to play the next day. Anyways, all that to say, um, you know, we think that she probably had a concussion which really stinks because I'm pretty sure she kept going to school. And that's one of the things we've learned is difficult for kids after a concussion is to go back to school and to try to focus and to, to watch the chalkboard and to watch video and to be on their phones and their devices and all of those things. Anyway, all of that stuff to say that our son got his first diagnosed concussion a few weeks ago. Now, the crazy thing is, he got it practicing volleyball, right? I mean, here's a kid who's grown up playing soccer, ice hockey. He plays high school football, and he gets his first concussion practicing volleyball by simply walking through the court while there was a spike drill going on, and the ball hit him in the side of the head, and immediately he had symptoms like headache, nausea, blurry vision. The trainer called us immediately and told us to come pick him up. Then, for the next 48 hours, intense headaches, nausea, sensitivity to light and noise. We had checked on him every 15 minutes when he fell asleep. And then through the night, every two to three hours to make sure everything was okay. Uh, in a day or two, he seemed to be back to normal. But the minute he tried doing something too strenuous, the headaches would come back. It was frustrating to him and hard for us to watch. But time is what's needed to heal a concussion properly. The doctor, without hesitation, had written an order for no work, no school for one week. No in-person school, no Zoom classes, no reading, no studying, just out of it completely. A week later, he was cleared to return to school. Though, now you have a week's worth of schoolwork to catch up on, and you still struggle with the ability to pay attention and focus because of the concussion. Returning to play sports was a whole other thing, right? Because each school has this like concussion protocol that you have to go through in order to return to your sport. 
So just because you return to school doesn't mean you can just jump right back into your sport, which is actually a very good thing, right? Because the last thing you want to do is have your kid return to your, to their sport too quickly and then end up with another concussion that could potentially end their sports careers altogether. So eventually he was cleared. He was back playing volleyball uh, in an official game three or four weeks after the incident. Now I know this borders on first world problem, right? It's a struggle we face because we've created this world for ourselves. This whole world of competitive travel sports where concussions are a common occurrence. But we're not here today to argue about that. I simply wanted to use the the whole story about Tyler's concussion as a illustration of the struggle, right? Not unlike other things we face in life, part of the human condition. Today's topic, transcending the struggle, part two. And we're going to look at three different things this week. Again, the struggle is real, the struggle is in check, and the struggle is beneficial. Number one, the struggle is real. So I called this part two because we've already done one episode on struggles. Episode 59 was called Transcending the Struggle. So why are we doing another one, you ask? Great question. There's a good chance that if I don't start doing part twos and part threes on some of these high-level topics, I may run out of topics. Not because the world is that small or because I've thought through every possible combination of every possible thing, but just because our focus is on transcending human, rising above the human condition. And a big part of the human condition is what we call the struggle. Now, I know we've defined the human condition numerous times on the podcast. So here are the highlights. The human condition is made up of good things, bad things, and mundane things. There is good in the world. Don't get me wrong. Things like weddings, graduations, birthdays, walks in the mountains or along the ocean, holding the door for somebody, stopping to help someone fix a flat tire, all good things, right? And all part of the human condition. And then there are mundane things like what we're going to eat for dinner on a Wednesday night or what you're going to wear to work tomorrow. And then there are the bad things, the struggles. And we've talked before about clumping these into three different categories. So we have human nature, which is our natural response to the sin virus, our tendency to give in to our selfishness, greed, anger, things like that. And then there's human suffering, which are the difficulties we face at the hands of others or because of the natural consequences of things, natural occurrences like floods, fires, you know, those sorts of things. And then there's human disturbance. Human disturbance is us dealing with medical and mental health issues that come along with the sin virus. So those are the three negative parts. Those are, those are three different buckets that we could consider the struggle. Now, obviously, when we talk about the struggle, we're talking about the bad stuff, right? The hard stuff. We don't need to talk about the good stuff, right? Is it even necessary? I mean, do you struggle with good stuff? Do you, do you need help understanding and dealing with good stuff? Probably not, because good is good. We love good. We don't seem to need to place blame when things are good, right? Who's to blame for this good thing happening to me? No, we could care less because it's good. We don't typically need someone to tell us how to experience good things. We're pretty good at experiencing good. But the bad, on the other hand, the struggle, that's a whole different story, right? Ever wonder why there are so many big idea books? Why there are so many self-help books? 
why we need therapists and counselors, because the struggle is real. We all struggle to deal with the bad side, the negative side of the human condition. And is there anyone out there right now not struggling? I mean, we're in a really difficult period of time right now. We've just spent the last two years dealing with COVID. We're struggling with high gas prices, high food prices. I mean, even Amazon just recently raised their fees because of the rising prices. We've dealt with political polarization, not on a level seen in years. We've seen racism and the fact that it's definitely not dead in this country. We're watching Russia systematically exterminate civilians in another country. People like you and me just trying to live and work and raise families. I mean, this all seems so overwhelming to us. But when you look back, it's really just more of the same. I mean, think about people who lived through the world wars, the Spanish flu, the plague, the Great Depression, the Civil War, the Spanish Inquisition, the Dark Ages, the oppression of Rome, slavery in Egypt. I mean, the list goes on and on and on all the way back to the beginning of time. Because the struggle is real. It's rooted in the sin virus, which was brought here by Satan, released into our world, and is not going to go away. The sin virus is here to stay until the world breathes its last breath. Now, in episode 59, we opened the conversation about struggles. So we talked about first world problems, we talked about various areas we struggle in, and we talked about having tunnel vision, where we get hyper-focused on our struggles and they become all that we see. Our focus is on our problems versus the one causing the problems, right? We lose sight of the fact that Satan is the problem, the sin virus is the problem, and that God is the one offering a solution to that problem. God is the only one who has the antidote to the sin virus. So this was my backdrop, my inspiration as I thought through this whole idea of the struggle this week. I spent time mulling over questions like these. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Age-old questions that hit at the heart of the struggles that we face on earth. And there are complete books written to answer these questions. I threw a few links to those books in... um, in the show notes if you're interested. There's a few books in Amazon that I found. Some literally named Why Do Good Things Happen to Bad People, right? Or Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? I can't remember which one, but the links are in the show notes. Number two, the struggle is in check. So like I said, in the previous episode, we defined tunnel vision, this idea that we get caught up in our problems and wind up hyper-focused on them. And the solution I offered at the time was a five-step tunnel-busting process to help get us back on track. Now, I still stand by that five-step tunnel busting process because it does a good job helping us pick our heads up, refocus on the controversy, and then reframe our struggles appropriately. But this week, I was thinking about the struggle on a whole different level. Yes, we all experience the struggle. And yes, we tend to get tunnel vision. And yes, there is a way out of that. But let's back up to those higher level questions. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Or maybe we rephrase those questions a little bit and ask them like this. How good can it get for bad people? Or how bad can it get for good people? In other words, are there limits to the struggles we face? Or are we at the mercy of this world, like a number in a lottery drawing? And when our number comes up, it's curtains for us. Because I think that's a question that many of us ask. Maybe it goes something like this. 
I'm trying so hard to do the right things, to be a good person, and yet the struggle is always there. It's like someone is standing in front of me, trying to knock me down every time I take a step in the right direction. Ever feel like that? I know, me too, right? And when we ask this question over and over and over again and never get a good answer, it can lead to a feeling of hopelessness, this feeling that nothing will ever get better and that we will never be able to work our way out of what hole we're in. But this is what Satan is counting on. By creating chaos and keeping us guessing, he plants seeds of hopelessness in us. He waters them, he prunes them so that they grow into full-fledged angst a feeling of disequilibrium that keeps us stuck. But to combat this, let's walk through the three constants that we have when it comes to the struggle. Constant number one, we must forget math as we know it. You know, things like one plus two equals three, because in reality, one plus two may not equal three. And I know we want it to, so badly we want it to, because math is predictable. It's something we can count on. Math is based on constants, things that do not change. And we want nothing more than to be able to predict the future. For example, things like doing good things will net good things in return. Doing bad things will return bad things to you. Deep inside, we know this isn't the way the world works, but we want it to so badly. The human condition has been corrupted by the sin virus, so math must be thrown out because there are no constants. Like we just said, Satan loves chaos. He works hard to make sure that bad people are getting their way and that good people are bombarded with the struggle. So that was constant number one. We must forget math as we know it. Constant number two, we're not as good as we think we are. Ouch, that hurts a little, right? Hurts just to say it. But I need to clarify something very quickly. When we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people, what are we really suggesting? Typically that we're the one that's good, right? And because we're good, good things should come our way. But the truth is, good is very subjective, right? We may try to do good things. We may try to be nice to other people. We may try to follow the rules of our society or our culture. But behind all of that, we're still sinful. We're still in need of the antidote to the sin virus. The Bible makes it pretty clear that we have all sinned and fallen short of the type of good, in quotes, good, that we need to be in order to live forever. And the only way to be, in quotes, good enough is to allow Jesus to be good for us. When we fully come to understand this, our perspective on the struggle changes. And we should really ask it this way. Why do good things happen to some sinners and bad things to others? See the distinction? Now, we could easily spin our wheels here, but let's keep moving. So we've talked about constant number one, forgetting math. Constant number two, we're not as good as we think we are. Constant number three, God is still in control. So this should give us a sense of peace like nothing else. We know that Satan is the interim ruler of this world. And he has a certain level of control because of that. Control which he exercises by what what we talked about, right? Creating chaos, telling lies, manipulating, and harming people on so many levels. And we know that God allows this to exist for one very important reason. 
freedom of choice. Love is not love without a choice. So God allowed us to choose against him at the beginning of time. We chose to have Satan be the ruler of this world, and God granted our wish. But ultimately, God owns everything. He created this planet, this world, this universe. He created us, which is why he came down and offered us a way back, a do-over. And by offering everyone the do-over, he provided three things. First, he made sure we keep our freedom of choice. Number two, he is allowed, in quotes, to end it all, to determine a point in the future where everything will end and our eternal vote will be honored. And number three, he is, quote unquote, allowed to monitor things on earth, to be a mediator of sorts, keeping Satan from doing everything he would like to do. Now, these are three very important pieces to the human condition. Let me read those once more. He made sure that we kept our freedom of choice. He is allowed to end it all. And he is allowed to monitor things, right? These are three very important things, things that should give us hope when we deal with the struggle, especially the last one. Now, we've talked about the story of Job in the Bible before and how God only allowed Satan to do so much to Job. And if that account is accurate, then we can rest assured that God protects us in ways that we don't even understand. Now, I can't wait to get to heaven and see the countless things that God and his angels did to protect me throughout my life. It's going to be incredible. Number three, the struggle is beneficial. So when the bad things do happen to us, when the struggle hits on all cylinders, what do we do? What do we do with that? First, I would suggest we apply the three constants that we just walked through. This should help us with the hopelessness part and the disequilibrium part that we tend to feel. But we can also look at the struggle another way, a much more positive way. We can actually view the struggle as beneficial. I know, right? It sounds wrong. Very, very wrong. It's kind of like saying, I think rain on my wedding day would be beneficial. Or I think getting a flat tire today would be very beneficial for my car. It just doesn't add up, right? But this is the genius nature of God. He is so intelligent that he's able to use Satan's game plan against him. So how does this work exactly? Satan wants to put us through hell on earth, and God allows it on some level in order to protect our freedom of choice. But at the same time, God uses that hell, whatever that means for you or for me, to grow us up. He uses the plans of Satan in order for us to mature, to become stronger people. Brilliant, right? And pretty obvious when you think about it. I mean, when things are good, are we in the frame of mind to learn something new, to grow? Probably not. When things are good, we typically just sit back and coast and just feel all the feels. But then when things get tough, it requires work, problem solving, innovation, Uh, It requires that we deal with the difficult emotions, all things that are required to create growth in our lives. So where does this concept even come from? Strength through trials, maturity through difficulty. Well, I think the Bible explains it pretty well. So here are just three verses I'll throw in uh, to kind of explain how the Bible views these things. James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, 
consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Romans 5.3 We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And finally, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is real. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So there you have it, three verses from the Bible that help support this concept that the struggle can actually be beneficial. Now, I'll throw this in for free. So I've always believed in this thing called the tripod method of Bible study. Uh, I'm sure there's more academic terms for it, but it's what I call it anyway. So here's how it works. You all understand what a tripod is, right? A tripod has three legs. And when you're doing Bible study, it's important to never create a hard and fast spiritual belief without having at least three separate Bible verses corroborating each other, right? So each verse is like one of the legs of the tripod that helps it stand without falling over. And if there's more than three, all the better, right? Okay, back to the episode. So, If this is true, that the struggle is actually beneficial in helping us grow up, then why would we spend so much of our time trying to avoid it, right? Do we understand that when we ask for peace, safety, comfort, and complete happiness, we're actually asking God to allow us to stagnate? Do we understand all of the growth that we would miss out on if every single thing went our way? All right, so let's wrap things up with a very logical follow-up question. So should we actually pray for the struggle, for pain, for suffering, for difficult things to come our way so that we can grow and mature? Heck no, in my humble opinion. Heck no. And here's my simple explanation. The human condition, thanks to the sin virus, comes with a struggle baked in, meaning it's going to come no matter what we do. There is no shortage of pain, suffering, and difficulty in life. Even the bad people that seem to have good things happening to them all the time will still experience these things in some form or fashion. So no, we don't need to pray for bad things to happen. But at the same time, we mustn't fall for the lie that we can achieve heaven on this planet. Our culture tells us otherwise. Make enough money, buy the right things, look like a million bucks, do all the fun things. And what do they say when we see people excelling in these areas? We say, oh man, they're killing it. We use terms like winning, but don't for a second think that that's sustainable. This month, we got a front row seat to see how fast someone can fall from grace. At the Oscars, Will Smith was frustrated with something that Chris Rock said on the stage, so he got up out of his seat, walked up the stage, and slapped Chris Rock across the face. Now, on the outside, before this ever happened, it seemed like Will Smith had it all, right? Everything is moving up and to the right, part of the Hollywood elite. Then came that slap heard around the world, 
And now he's experiencing the cancel culture and everything that goes along with it. He resigned from the Academy. He's had movie deals fall through. Numerous Hollywood A-listers have come out harshly against him. His whole world turned upside down because of one bad decision. Now, we could debate just how painful it really is for Mr. Smith, given the money that he's amassed over the years. But regardless of that, he's still experiencing the struggle in a whole new way. And it will be up to him how he handles it, and if he's willing to grow through it. Let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself these questions. First, is the struggle real for me? Am I experiencing difficult things right now? If so, what are they? And how are they impacting me? Number two, do you believe the struggle is in check? Do you actually believe that God is in control? Do you believe that he has our best interest at heart and that he will only allow us to go through things that he knows we can handle? And finally, number three, can you see how the struggle is actually beneficial? Looking back at some of the major setbacks you've faced, what were you like before? What were you like after? Was there growth? Was there maturity? Was there endurance through it all? If not, and you're still knee-deep in the pain of that thing, what would it look like for you to talk to someone about it and find those growth areas that are there right under the surface? Well, friends, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for hanging out with us again this week. Um, Next week, we're going to look at transcending the mirage. So what does it mean to see clearly rather than to look through rose-colored glasses? Until then, have a great week, everyone. Grow through the struggles. And as always, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.